0: In November 1974, builders renovating a London office formerly used by Peter Bessel found a briefcase containing letters and photographs relating to Jeremy Thorpe, which apparently were of a compromising nature they included Norman Scott's 1965 letter to Ursula, Thorpe's mother, revealing the sexual nature of his relationship with her son. The builders took these papers to the Sunday Mirror, but Sidney Jacobson, the paper's deputy chairman, decided not to publish the material and dutifully passed the briefcase and its contents to Thorpe, although he was savvy enough to keep copies of the documents in the newspaper's files. But there were still documents out there which could prove Scott's claims. And that brings us to cover-up number four, courtesy of a corrupt GP. <laughs> By 1975, Dr Ronald Gleedle, the GP treating Norman Scott for his depressive illness, put him on ridiculously high doses, even for those times, of Valium, Librium and Mogadon, which coupled with alcohol self-medication, rendered poor Scott pretty vulnerable. One night, the good doctor turned up on Scott's doorstep and told him someone he knew would pay really good money for all the letters that Bessel and Thorpe had written to him over the years. Scott, offering his head on medication, handed over the documents. However, the next morning he had a moment of clarity and rushed to the doctors to retrieve the papers but the only papers handed over to him were paying in slips for two sums of a thousand and fifteen hundred £1,500 paid into his two bank accounts by the doctor. In all likelihood, the money came from the Right Honourable John Jeremy Thorpe MP from money donated by businessman Jack Hayward for election expenses. Several accounts say that the letters were handed over to Thorpe's friend David Holmes, And together, he and Thorpe burned them. Later on, with the help of a new GP who lowered his medication and a sympathetic psychiatrist, Scott managed to get Dr. Gleedle struck off. Some small justice, but yet again, not really sufficient. Now, in 1979... While the media, the defence team and the trial judge made much about Scott's falsehoods, which had included telling people he was an orphan and that his father had died in an air crash, which he hadn't, and the various versions of his surname. In the grand scheme of things, these were foolish white lies compared to the deep, dark whoppers being told by others around him. And far, far less was made of Jeremy Thorpe's duplicitousness. In 1975, he had written to Sir Jack Hayward, a Bahamas-based millionaire businessman who had given generously to the Liberal Party in the past. Now, in the wake of the Liberals' February 1974 election successes, Thorpe asked Hayward for £150,000 to clear the party's overdraft of £100,000, with the remaining £50,000 to replenish the party's funds. He further requested that £10,000 of this sum be paid not into the party's regular accounts, but to Nadir Dinshaw, a friend of Thorpe's who lived in Jersey. Thorpe explained this unusual arrangement was because the money was needed to deal with a special category of unspecific election expenses. Hayward duly sent the £10,000 to Dinshaw, who, as instructed, passed the money to Thorpe's friend, David Holmes. After the October 1974 election, Thorpe again asked Hayward for funds and again asked that £10,000 be sent by Dinshaw. No, not entirely happy with the arrangement, Hayward obliged. To this day, no account of what became of this £20,000 has been ascertained. The fact that two successful, intelligent, honest, blameless businessmen like Hayward and Dinshaw went along with these bizarre arrangements gives some idea of how effectively Thorpe's charm and charisma could be used solely to his benefit and his unshakable belief that he could get away with it. Of course, nowadays, we're used to this sort of behaviour. We know it as protecting the brand. Most public figures use the really expensive legal system to protect their public images and hence their marketing power. The best or worst example of this was Lance Armstrong using lawyers and loot to discredit people trying to tell the truth about his deceit and lies. For politicians, their brands are mostly about gaining and retaining power and none more so than for Jeremy Thorpe. (laughs) In September 1975, Scott's solicitor, Jeremy Ferguson, warned him that I really do feel you are in a very real danger of being badly hurt by some person who wishes to prevent your story from being published. And so it came to pass that a sometime pilot and not entirely useful idiot called Andrew Newton was put in touch with David Holmes early in October 1975. And according to Newton... Holmes was given a down payment on a fee of £10,000 to murder Norman Scott. Holmes always claimed it was actually just to frighten Scott, but let's face it, that's a lot of money just for a scare mission. The consequences have been well documented. A drive along a deserted stretch of Devon Moorland, the shooting of a beautiful friendly dog, pointing a gun at its terrified owner, the subsequent arrest of Newton, and in March 1976, his conviction for possessing a firearm with intent to endanger life. During the four-day trial, he insisted that Scott had been blackmailing him, and said nothing about Thorpe or Holmes. But that wasn't enough for Thorpe. In 1976, he persuaded David Holmes to visit Bessel, now living in California and persuade him to write a letter stating that he originally gave money to Scott out of pity, but then Scott had blackmailed him over an affair Bessel was having with his secretary. Incredibly, Bessel agreed. Thorpe promised Bessel the letter would never be made public. But in March 1976, just before Andrew Newton's trial began, the Sunday Times published an article written by Thorpe, headlined, The Lies of Norman Scott, quoting from Bessel's letter. And, proving to be a better marksman than Andrew Newton, Thorpe shot himself in the foot. He agreed to the Sunday Times publishing two letters written by him, including what became known as The Bunny's Letter, derived from his telling Norman Scott during their first sexual encounter that he looked like a frightened rabbit. Now all bets were off. In retaliation at this betrayal, Bessel gave an interview to the Daily Mail, headlined I Told Lies to Protect Thorpe, published on the 6th of May 1976. Four days later, Thorpe resigned as Liberal Party leader, believing that would be the end of the matter. But even those most well disposed towards him within his own party could see the real problem. Bernard Greaves, who was in charge of the party's gay rights campaign, issued a statement to the press stating, I believe that Jeremy Thorpe lost his leadership because very close friends attempted over several years to conceal the truth, and because suspicion must exist that even if Jeremy Thorpe did not organise it, he knew of that concealment. However, Thorpe could still count on the collusion of friends in higher places. Which brings us to cover-up number five, this time courtesy of the former Labour Prime Minister, Harold Wilson. Documents I found in the National Archives show that in February 1976, while still Prime Minister, Wilson told a sceptical Barbara Castle that the Tories had paid Scott to make the allegations against Thorpe in order to destroy the Liberal Party and asked her to make discreet inquiries in her Department of Health and Social Services regarding its prosecution of Scott for fraud. As Scott had had admitted, in 1975 he had received a duplicate Social Security payment, which he kept. He was subsequently found guilty, put on probation, and ordered to pay the money back at £2 a week. But it had given him a chance to make a statement in court that he was being hounded, because of his relationship with Thorpe. DHSS papers I also found in the National Archives reveal that Wilson and his closest advisers believed that Scott might have deliberately committed the fraud so that he would be prosecuted. Hmm. Castle gave the task of carrying out Wilson's wishes to investigate his theory to Jack Straw, then her political adviser he duly produced a dossier that proved Scott was indeed telling the truth about his relationship with Thorpe and warned Wilson against going out on a limb to protect Thorpe. But Wilson was not to be swayed. A month later, he told Castle that he and his private secretary, Lady Falkender, had found conclusive evidence that BOSS, the South African security services, was behind it all, but that he couldn't reveal his sources. Castle noted that Wilson was like a Boy Scout playing cops and robbers. In the next episode, learn about how while the cover-ups continued, the truth about Jeremy Thorpe was about to come out.